0: All right, good morning and welcome to Holy Word Austin. My name is Pastor Dan Leitonen. I'll be leading worship this morning along with our vicar, our intern, uh, John Newman, and we'll be giving you the message from God's Word today in a special format that uh, has historically been called a a service of lessons and carols. We have lessons from the Bible and along with those brief introductions to those lessons, and then we have music that matches the theme of those lessons um, from the Bible and those are going to be sung by our choir and our, and our music groups this morning. And so we have an Advent uh, music service in store for you today. And uh, the big theme of Advent is Christ's coming into our life, the work and the life of Jesus Christ of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. And the anticipation that builds around Christmas time along with the anticipation that we have for his return that is, for his coming back, and that's what Advent is all about. So, uh, this morning, we're going to have uh, the choir come forward, and we're going to begin our service with a reading and the first couple of songs. You'll see in the service folder that, uh, that's okay, the choir can come forward. Don't act shy. They've never been shy before. I don't know why they're shy now. Um, and you're going to find in the worship folder that there are places in the service that you'll sing along with the choir, and the, the words will also be up on the screen in front of you. So, as we get ready this morning... We begin worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our first Bible reading comes from Micah chapter 5. It's on page 2 in the service folder. We don't know too much about the prophet Micah, except for what's written in his book, Micah. Um, He's from the little town of Moresheth, a little village way outside of the city probably more Sheth Gath in southern Judea compared to northern Israel, we think. And his message is really about um, the coming darkness, and much of, many of the messages from the prophets that we're going to hear today is about this coming darkness that was coming uh, that would bring God's people, as a, as a result of their sin, as a, as a consequence of their sin, destruction. Uh, he would speak about social injustice, especially in the small towns and villages, Uh, But then he would say that during the spiritual darkness, there would be a time when God would provide peace and rest for his people. And this peace and rest wouldn't come from the big, shiny city. Guess where it would come from? Just like his theme throughout the book is, it would come from a small little town. And that small little town that we know that that peace and that rest would come from is this town that he prophesies six, seven hundred years before Jesus comes into the world, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And so the prophets knew long before this coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the one that would bring us peace, that he was coming, and they would speak about it to the people who were living in true darkness. And so from Micah chapter 5, we have this prophecy, "...but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times." Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace.
1: During the time of King David, Israel was at its most prosperous and had its greatest boundaries. But after David came wicked kings and the nation of Israel was split up into two kingdoms and the nation was never as prosperous again as it was during the time of David. These were dark and gloomy days. And yet the prophet Isaiah, speaking here in chapter 9 about the coming Messiah, speaks of a light that would shine out out of the darkness and we hear in the song of Simeon when he held the boy Jesus in his arms that this was a light not just for the Jews but that this child would be a light to the gentiles because the darkness is the darkness of sin but the light is the light of God's salvation that would shine out of the darkness and bring salvation to all people we read Isaiah Nine, verse two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned.
0: In the novel, uh, *The Magician's Nephew*, C.S. Lewis writes about a story of two children, Digory and Polly, who are sent by the lion Aslan to a garden on a mountain. And there, in that garden, they're supposed to pick an apple and bring it back to Aslan. Um, as they're on their journey, they make it to the mountain and they get to the garden and they resist the temptation of taking an extra apple because this apple gives extra long life when you eat it and Digory's mother in England is sick. But they take the one apple back and they give it to Aslan and Aslan says, go and plant this apple by the river. They do as they're told and out of this apple grows a, a tree and this tree would bring protection to the whole land of Narnia against guess who, the wicked witch. And Aslan gives Diggory an apple for his mother as well, and makes her well. As you know, C.S. Lewis often wrote um, an imagery of of biblical truths, and this imagery that he was writing about parallels this reading from Isaiah chapter 11. Um, Because we have a branch and a tree that gives us life and protects us from the evil one. And that branch and that tree that Isaiah prophesies about is... Pretty incredible in his prophecies because as he's going through the book of Isaiah, as you're reading through it, you're learning that trees are getting chopped down one after another after another. And what Isaiah was trying to tell his people is that this tree being cut down was the military conquest against his God's own people. However, in middle of all of that chopping down of the trees, in chapter 11, Isaiah says, that God's presence is not removed in the middle of destruction, but actually God's presence is happening right in the middle of it all. And there would be a shoot that comes from the root of a family line called Jesse, whose family would give Israel its greatest lower-story human king, David, and eventually a king who would bring peace and healing and protection to all of us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so, we come into a place of setting, a worship like this today, and we have all sorts of circumstances where we feel like the trees are being chopped down. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's worries of this world. God says in this beautiful prophecy, he says it doesn't matter because that branch is still growing and that Savior that you have, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, lived in your place, died on the cross and rose again so that whatever you're going through, we can have peace Like Isaiah writes about here, and we're going to hear in the music to come. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says this A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit.
1: It's a somewhat popular opinion to think that the God of the Old Testament is a different God from the God of the New Testament. That the God of the Old Testament was an angry and and just God who punished people arbitrarily, well, the God of the New Testament is the God of love, embodied in Jesus Christ, who, who said to love thy neighbor. But the reality is that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God, and Christ was foretold in the Old Testament, linking together the Old and New Testament. The whole of the Bible circles around God's plan of salvation and how he was going to save mankind from their sins. And that story focuses on Jesus. In our reading that we have before us from the first chapter of Mark, we hear about the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And that good news begins with John the Baptist the one who was prophesied to come before the Christ, announcing the arrival of the Christ, that Christ was near. And Mark quotes the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah, the prophet from whom we have already heard this morning. He quotes from Malachi, whom we also have heard from this morning. And he links those Old Testament prophecies to the coming of John the Baptist the one who would prepare the way for Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, whose presence meant that Christ was soon going to be on the scene and that Christ would soon be completing that work of our salvation. We read from Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit.
0: This time before Christmas, called Advent, we celebrate in the church from about December 1 to 24. Um, I like to think about it as like the preseason for Christmas. And if you've gone through any kind of preseason uh, workouts or training with a coach, You know that that coach has in mind that big game, the first one, and every game after that is going to be one at a time at a time. But that coach wants you to think about that first game first, not the championship, right? The prophets were the coach, and they had in mind the big picture, the big, big picture, not just the coming of Christ, but what his work would entail, the glory at the end, the Super Bowl. And guess where we're living? We're living right there in the middle of it all in between the already has been and the what is to come so the prophets every time that they were coaching their people along they were thinking about that coming of the messiah the christ and his work that work that's been done 2000 years ago and they were preparing hearts for his coming and what he would do and they also almost in the same breath in the same sentence would have in mind something far far down the road and here we are living in the middle of this all and we think to ourselves, it's been so long since Jesus has been here. It's been 2,000 years. And in these same breaths, when he talks about a kingdom that would reign forever, we know that he's coming back and he's going to make this final. One way to think about this, the, and, and in 1 Peter, Peter, Peter writes that prophets were trying to figure out how this was all going to fit together because God would speak to them and then they would have to speak to the people. But even the words that they were speaking, they said, how is this going to work out? The big idea is thinking about Two great mountains in the distance. The great mountains from hundreds of miles away, and I've driven into Denver before, they look like they're just one big mountain that's put together. But when you get closer and closer to those mountains, you learn that there are huge valleys that are miles in between. We are living in that valley right now, and we can grow impatient in anticipation for Christ's return. But remember that the prophets, when they speak to us, they speak from 100 miles away. And so when Isaiah, in one of the greatest prophecies about the Messiah in chapter 9, 6 to 7, when he speaks about the coming Christ and his reign that would rule forever, it gives us motivation and it gives us peace and comfort in our life today to be comfortable in that valley, knowing that he's coming back for us and that we can anticipate this Christmas the celebration of the past and we can look forward to his coming again in the future. Isaiah chapter 9, 6 to 7 Will accomplish this.
1: The birth of Christ was a humble affair. He was born in a stable, placed into a feeding trough that was meant for animals to eat out of. Likely few people outside of Mary and Joseph even knew that a baby was being born, let alone that this child was something special. There was a private, subdued nature to the birth of Christ. And yet, on the other hand, there was also a public and a glorious element to the birth of Christ. And that's what we hear when we read about the angels who appeared to the shepherds in the fields. These angels appeared with all the glory of God. And if we remember, how do the shepherds react? If we've ever heard a a children's Christmas pageant, those words probably stick in our minds. And they were terrified. That's what happens when mere sinful human beings see all the glory of God displayed in full splendor. And so on one hand, The Christ child was born in humility, born in a a subdued way as one who was going to humble himself and give up that full use of his divinity. But there was also the glory that was due, the Savior of all people. And it's with that glory that we catch a glimpse of in the announcement of those angels. It's in that glory that Christ will return when he comes a second time. And we can look forward to that as Christians because of what Christ did for us when he came the first time. So that though we may be in awe of God's glory when Christ returns a second time, we also will rejoice at his coming and at witnessing his glory. We read from Luke chapter 2. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel When they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them
0: Hallelujah <laughs> We got to practice this with the Lutheran crowd Hallelujah <laughs> We celebrate the diversity of worship with a God-centered, word-centered worship experience at Holy Word every Sunday, and we want you to be part of this. If you're uh, with us today, one other way that we worship our God and, uh, as a collective group is the offering. It's a free will offering, and uh, it's a, it comes from a cheerful giving towards the mission of spreading this great news that we're celebrating in word and song today. And so fill out that connection card. We'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, we're going to pass the plates to participate in this uh, act of worship called the offering, and we're going to hear some music at the same time. We're about to go on our way this morning. Thank you for being with us for worship. We just have uh, the blessing, the final song, and a couple of announcements. If you're a guest with us today, again, thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, I pray that these songs that you have heard... And the, the, the readings that go along with them will, will stay in your heart for this season, all the way through Christmas, and really forever. These are, this is the message of our, our great God that has come into our life, and we believe that He's coming back again, just like He said that He will. And uh, so we anticipate that day that He's coming back. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the church reformer, he once said that next to the Word of God, he held music as one of the highest highest things in his life because he believed that that music, when it's paired with the word of God, it drives out Satan from our heart and he runs in terror from all of the things that he's trying to scare us with. And so really cherish the music that we have, um, it, both as uh, a Christian heritage and, and the music that we bring it back into our homes, because they can help us and they can uplift us even in the darkest times, especially when they're paired with the beautiful message of the gospel. We're about to hear one more song, and uh, before we have that song, receive the blessing of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.